Welcome to this Melbourne Business School podcast. I'm Jan Marshall and with me today is Adjunct Professor of Marketing, Mark Ritson. Mark completed his PhD at Lancaster University and postdoctoral studies at Wharton. Thanks to a Thoron Award, Mark became an Assistant Professor at the University of Minnesota and then the London Business School. He's also held visiting roles at MIT Sloan and Singapore Management University. Mark is a renowned global consultant who has worked on a range of international brand and marketing assignments. His clients have included William Hill, Baxter, Unilever, McKinsey, Medibank and News Corp. For 15 years, he's also served as in-house marketing professor for luxury goods group LVMH in Paris. So to start us off, Mark, what are some of the greatest Christmas marketing campaigns of all time? Well, there's a couple, right? I mean, I think, unfortunately, as a, as a POM, as a British, ex-British citizen, you probably would point most specifically to the work of John Lewis over about the last 15 years in creating a, a, an almost special category of advertising that takes place late November and early December in the form of you know, their wonderful emotional TV campaign which really most of the UK and now I think around the world people look forward to um, as a beautiful example of building really positive uh, brand associations, obviously creating awareness and saliency at Christmas, but really a long-term campaign that pushes the idea that you know, real gift giving and the real message of Christmas is often lost in all the glitz. And I think that's for me has been a high point of the last 30 or 40 years of Christmas advertising has been the work of John Lewis over that last decade. I mean, the most recent campaign this Christmas is with Elton John. That sounds wrong because Elton John's flamboyant and glitzy, but it's the story of how he's given a piano as a small boy and connecting back to that time. And it's a beautiful ad, but it's the, long, it's the latest in a long line of beautiful ads that I think have done John Lewis enormous good in commercial and branding terms. So how has John Lewis got to this campaign? What, what makes them special? How have they been able to nail it, do you think? I think it's a combination of, of long-term planning, which I think John Lewis are very good at, uh, very good support from their agency, which has been working on this pretty much from the beginning. And I think what the most important here is understanding that the best way sometimes, even as a retailer, to increase sales is not necessarily to push prices or even products, but to go after a much more longer term emotional connection between the brand and its customer base. Uh, and you know, it, it seems like a long way around, but at Christmas time, if you make people feel special and warm and good about John Lewis and make them think about John Lewis, the chances of going into that store for their Christmas purchases go up exponentially. And, and John Lewis have done the analysis. I think the most recent campaign for every dollar they spent on it, they got $7 back in profit, not revenue, from that campaign. So sometimes the hardest sell comes from the softest sell, if you see what I mean. And I think that's what really has enabled them to do it. So can you tell us a little bit about the culture of John Lewis that has enabled them to manage this brand so well? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, they're a company that, that you know, it's a mutual company, so it shares out its profits among its uh, employees, which makes them unusual. But I think what makes them really unusual is that they have a, 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 a marketing team that's been together for a very long time and that I think approaches the brand 
challenge from a very long-term perspective. And that's a very, it's a very important topic right now. We seem to be in what many are calling an efficiency bubble, where we are measuring the, the, you know, the impact of our campaigns literally by the day. How many clicks, how many people viewed, how many people visited. And there's nothing wrong with those short-term metrics, but I think the John Lewis team is special because on top of that, they take a multi-year long-term view of true effectiveness, which is to build a strong brand over the long haul and build a relationship with customers to some degree. They're not you know, ignoring the short-term demands of being a retailer. You know, and one of the other things that John Lewis is famous for is never knowingly being undersold. So they don't, you know, they, they do promise good value as well. But I think they see how this more short-term focus matches with that longer-term brand building uh, requirement. And I think that's frankly what is often missing, especially in Australia. I think the short-term sales-driven route is seen as being the best route to drive sales. I think it's, you know, the research is pretty clear that it works best when the short term is allied with a, also a long-term approach as well. And I think there's a team in London that get that at John Lewis and they've been around a long time. And you know, again, it's a cliche, but we talk about it a lot, that the tenure of a marketing department and the, mar the senior marketing team, it is a factor that you know, it, it, it does turn over too frequently. And just because we say it a lot, doesn't mean it isn't true. You know, we, we could do with marketing teams that are attached to brands for a lot longer than the average two to three years. And why do you think we get that sort of turnover in those marketing teams? And what's, what's the success of being able to hold a team over the longer term? What, what do you think that's about? Well, I think the reason, unfortunately, we don't have longer tenure is because most of the marketing people aren't very good. So I don't, you know, there's this sort of stereotype that CFOs are somehow impatient or something. No, the reason why your average tenure for a CMO or senior marketer is short is because most of those marketers aren't particularly good and quite correctly, not always, but usually they're, they're moved on. Um, and I think what you lose when you do that is you lose the chance to learn and to build something. You know, I, there's no actual number for, for what the long term means but it's certainly more than two or three years of joined up strategy. So you always plan on a 12 month basis, but you know, it, you know, I've just done a case study this morning with, with a class where it's a 10 year story, right? From beginning to ultimate success. And that's not unusual. Clearly when you've had three or four teams coming in and out during that 10 year period, everybody comes in, everyone has a different point of view, everyone has different agency partners, everyone has a different strategy. You can't possibly do it if you've got, you know, a revolving door policy. So I think, you know, continuity, learning, testing, improvement, long-term are all things that are lost when these teams move in and move out, which so often is the case. So is it that um, organisations uh, perhaps not going about the recruitment process particularly well, or is it that there's just, you know, a shortage of talent in, in marketing yeah, we're not quite sure. I mean, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you the two things I've seen data on. Um, the first thing is because of this focus on efficiency and short-termism uh, and, you know, increasing investments in digital media, the actual effectiveness of campaigns overall seems to be in decline. And so that means that to some degree, you know, marketers are getting caught out because over a period of more than one or two years, they're just not able to deliver the growth that the organization expects. I think that's a factor. 
And then the other one is they really, I mean, I hate to say it, but a lot of senior marketers, when they get to the boardroom as a CMO, they really aren't commercial enough to survive. So there are a couple of exceptions. You know, I, you know, I work for Martine Yeager at um, Westpac, and she's a brilliant CMO and a crucial part of that Westpac board. But she's a bit of an exception. A lot of CMOs, when they do actually get to board level, really aren't sharp enough to survive with the COOs and CFOs in, in the other silos. And they stand out as being a bit crap. And that's a horrible thing to say, but it's borne out by data. You know, there's a survey done of most of the top CEOs, and I think it was about 80% trust their CFO and 20% trust their CMO. And it's because they're not very good, you know. So, yeah, you could have a good marketer in theory, but they just aren't commercial enough a lot of the time. So when you get one, like Martine at Westpac, you hang on to them. So what are some of the signals that um, might be... Uh, coming out in a campaign or in a campaign strategy that uh, are indicating that this is a good campaign or possibly it's a bad campaign? What what should organisations be looking for? Uh, there's a few hot buttons that you can generally say always need to be there. So the first one I would suggest is very, very tight on strategic objectives. And there's some good research on this from Australia. If you look at the effectiveness awards, the EFIs we give out in Australia... A gold FE, which is you give out a dozen of those a year, maybe 200 submissions from big brands and we, you know, maybe less than 10 are often given out. So they're the best of the best. They average usually two objectives in total. Whereas if you look at your average crap campaign in Australia, it's got seven or eight or 12 objectives. So the first thing to look out for is have they made the choices and said, look, we want to increase consideration next year. That's what we're going after. We're not trying to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. In contrast, the next success factor, which runs against that, is although you're looking for really tight strategic objectives, the actual media mix that you use to deliver the campaign, the, the number of different tactics, whether it be Facebook or print or outdoor or promotional or whatever, the more of those, it would appear, the merrier. So again, if you look at that FE research, the gold winners tend to have 10, 11, 12 different media integrated together in their execution, whereas your typical uh, campaign, often a third to a quarter of Australian campaigns, will only use one channel, whether it be radio or Facebook or something, they'll only use one channel. So it seems like there's a curious contrast between less objectives, but a lot more media to deliver that campaign is a real recipe for success. And then the last part, which I'm a huge fan of, is you've got to codify the thing. And what I mean by that is, some horrendous data showing that only 16% of ads are correctly remembered the next day after exposure to the brand that did the campaign. And that's because a lot of ads really don't look like themselves. They really aren't distinctive. And people forget which brand they come from. And I'm a huge fan of codification, which means I'm going to cover my campaign with codes. Not necessarily the logo, but codes. Um, you know, I'm working for, for St. George, you know, a great Australian bank. And one of the things I'm most proud of for St. George is we have a great Christmas campaign with the St. George Dragon and Santa Claus. But it's very green and it's very red and it's very scaly and it looks like St. George. You know what I mean? And that sounds obvious, but most of these campaigns are not that distinctively 
linked to the brand that's sponsoring them. And if it's going to work, they have to know it's us before we weave our magic. So thinking back over the campaigns you've seen for Christmas, is there one that's been outstandingly bad in your mind? Oh, look, I don't want to pick out any one in particular, and not because I'm being pleasant, just because they're all really bad apart from a couple, you know. I mean, I really despair of the general, you know, you know we aren't all John Lewis, but I think there's room here. You know, I, you know I'm biased because I like the St. George team, but I think what they've done with their campaign you know, having Santa Claus, and it is a humorous ad. I mean, I encourage you to seek it out. It's, you know, it's a work of small genius. You know, we close in on Santa Claus in his grotto, and the St. George dragon is there, and Santa has a problem because he hasn't got enough money to buy presents for all the kids. And so he spins the globe because one random country he's going to cut from this year's deliveries to save money, and it lands on Australia. And, you know, there's this moment of tension. And then the St. George dragon turns up and says, no, don't do that. And he just moves the globe slightly to the left. And Santa's finger moves to New Zealand. And then everything's <laughs> solved. And it's a beautiful campaign. You know what I mean? It's beautiful. It's got humor. It's got a bit of emotion. It's all about St. George, which is friendly. It's not a big four bank. And I think that we need more of that. There's too much hard sell. And I say that because I think the best way to increase sales and profit is sometimes to soft sell. You referred to before uh, about the number of channels that these yeah. campaigns need to go through. So um, it, it suggests to me it must be increasingly hard to get attention, especially at this time of year. Anything that you would like to say about how companies can consider that? Yeah, I mean, it, attention is the currency we're all focused on these days. And the reason for that is phenomenally, you know, we, we're moving so much money quite correctly to digital channels where attention is actually very difficult a lot of the time because although digital has many advantages, you know, the targeting specifically is phenomenally advanced. The problem is too often digital is being delivered on a very small, you know, 10 square centimeter screen where I have the capability to flick, scroll, or even just look out the window. I think one of the great successes of television, and it is still a more successful media than most people realize, is that the lazy, slightly drunk, exhausted parents sitting on a couch at 10 o'clock who can't be bothered to find the remote control may not look like a very attractive audience, but by goodness, we get their attention more often than not. And so I think one of the tricks of attention is remembering that sometimes passive attention can be a very valuable thing for the same reason that outdoor is booming outdoor is growing faster than digital media in this country right now because it's one of those things where if i'm walking down the street or sitting on the tram i will actually look at outdoor because it can be quite interesting and it will get my attention for the time required so i think you know the trick with attention is realizing that no matter how great your brand is or how wonderful your uh, content is Attention is really gained by being clever and being strategic and being in the right place at the right time. Uh, and look, I th you know, the good news for Facebook, and they've had a hell of a shit year, so let's give them some good news, is if you look at some of the data coming out of the UK, their advertising is actually significant, get, garnering significantly more attention than most digital ads. Now, it's a low bar, and I, I would highlight the fact that news media beats Facebook and everyone else hands down. So if you look at advertising that's placed in a news media source, either digital or print, the actual dwell time of the eyes on the ad is a factor, and forgive me if I don't get this completely correct, three to four times greater 
the non-news media context. So even newspapers, you know, I mean, we, you know, they've had a struggle for, over the last 10 years. But you place an ad in news media and the research says quite clearly, you get attention. On top of the signaling effect of being in a newspaper, people look at the ads in a newspaper, online or offline. So the marketing professional today has so many sources of data they have to look at for themselves yeah. in terms of you know, where their campaign is going to be placed, all these channels that they've got to consider, how their brand is best going to show up, to whom. It, it must be an enormous task uh, yeah. as a marketing team these days. It is, and to be honest, everyone's got good data that contradicts the other data. So I've seen, you know, no exaggeration, every industry from radio to print to news media to TV to Facebook to search, all demonstrating with quite clear empirical accuracy that their medium is the most effective and the most profitable. So it's not just that there are lots of choices, that competition has created very persuasive uh, data which, you know, in each case proves each media's, each medium's superiority. So yeah, it's a giant problem. It's why a lot of the consulting firms are getting involved. Um, it's why programmatic, which is, you know, automated buying is increasingly attractive because it takes the choice away to some degree and lets the, the computer make the choices as it were. Um, yeah, it's, it's media has become a tremendous uh, risk and a tremendous opportunity. And the media agencies, who I think are very good, but are also, you know, there's a big question mark against them because there's a sense that sometimes, maybe incorrectly, media agencies are recommending the media that make them the most money, not necessarily helping the client the most. So it's a real mess at the moment, and it's a major headache for almost every senior marketer. If you're handling a budget of 20, 30, 50 million dollars, the potential to get it wrong and waste money has never been greater. So for any final tips for us, Mark, for those campaign managers, those marketing people as they survive this Christmas period? Yeah, it's a good one. Um, I would say that, that Christmas is very much over from a marketing point of view in the sense that, you know, all that should be happening in a well-run brand now as we, you know, we're making this at the end of November is tactical execution handled by agencies and, and good clients, good marketers should be turning their attention now to essentially a nice break and then research. And the reason we do research in January and February is then we can analyze it by March and then we can put our plan together in April. We can make a presentation uh, in late April and May to the board to ask for a certain level of investment. And so when July 1st, the start of the financial year begins, we have our strategy ready for next year. So really Christmas in any good company should be well and truly over and we should just be letting it run and our focus is already 2019. 2019 is, from a marketing point of view, uh, already, you know, very much mid-flow. We should be thinking a lot about it. So the reality is now we're planning ahead of customers. And the decent brands that I work with and others work with are very much knee-deep in 19 planning. Christmas is over in marketing land. Mark, thanks very much for your tips and insights today. My pleasure. For more information about this podcast or Melbourne Business School, go to mbs.edu.